You're listening to the Carterville Church Life Podcast. I love our church family, and I hope that you do too. Our goal is that the episodes of this podcast would keep us connected and focused while we're scattered for our week on missions together. I hope that you're blessed by what you hear today. Hey, church family, welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad that you tuned in today, and I hope that you're blessed. So today we're going to continue our reading of some of the Psalms, and we're just going to select from the 150 Psalms a few, but today I'm going straight to the next one in line, Psalm number two. And one of the reasons I'm doing that is because Psalm number two is is an important Psalm in the New Testament and in the life of the church, and it was in the life of Israel. It's considered a royal Psalm. In other words, this was a Psalm that was attributed to the king. So just as Psalm one invited the individual to consider their relationship with God as they walked into the Psalter and began to read these 150 uh, poems of wisdom and praise. Psalm 2 applies a very similar concept, but nationally. So Psalm 2 is not speaking so much only to the individual, but it's praising the anointed one, the king of Israel, as a representative of God on the earth and calling the nations as communities to submit to God's rule and authority to God's kingdom by submitting to God's anointed one, presumably King David, his successors. But the in the New Testament, this psalm is important because it speaks of the kingdom, because it speaks of God's anointed one, and because it speaks of God's rule over the earth. So it seems as if the apostles read Psalm 2 and saw a bigger hope, as if what was spoken in Psalm 2 about David's dynasty and the kings of Israel really ultimately was going to find its home uh, in submission to the kingdom of heaven under the rule of Jesus. And so this is a great psalm about worship. Uh, It's a great psalm about submission to God. And it's a great and hopeful psalm about uh, our commitment to God's kingdom now and forever. Now, there's some strong language in the psalm. I mean, it's very, very clear that you have two choices. You can submit to God's rule, which is a good and beautiful rule. Or if you choose to be rebellious against God's anointed one, uh, King David in the Old Testament, Jesus in our understanding now, then honestly, you're going to be crushed in your rebellion. It's not a pleasant and warm reality, but I I am clear here that it is truth. And it's an invitation to humbly submit to God's rule, to be governed by the one good king who can govern you and me and the world well. So here we go. Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me. And I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. 
You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss the son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. That is Psalm 2. A couple of things that I want to point out is that the rebellious cry of the nations in verses 1 through 3, it's a pretty good reflection of what really does happen, uh, not only with nations, but also with our own human hearts. I want to read it again. It says, Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up, the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. Fundamental to this psalm is a submission to God's rule. And it's hard for us in our stubborn rebellion to submit to God's rule, to welcome it. Because very much like like the voice of these wicked nations, we feel like God's rule over us is chains and shackles. We would say, let's rise up together against the Lord. You see nations or even friend groups uh, really banding together to agree to a worldview and find strength and community to, to each other, to say that we reject God and His rule, we don't need His commands. Even when we're stubborn young children, we think God's commands are harmful to us, oppressive to us, they're stifling our joy. It's not true at all. In fact, I think the purest, most beautiful life for us would be one where we are best submitted to God's rule over our life, where we're allowing Him to lead us to glory and joy and peace and strength and hope. But when we are stubborn in our sins and determined against God, His rule over us seems like chains and shackles. Now, what's interesting is you can apply this straight down the line. Sometimes children look at parents who love them and feel like those parents' rules are chains and shackles. You could apply the same thing to almost any authority figure who loves those that they lead, but their rules are seen as restrictive or binding or chains and shackles to the rebellious heart that does not want to be submissive to rule over them. So if there's a if if we have a lack of submission in our spirit, a determination in our pride that nobody's telling us what to do, then we're going to look at any authority God places over us and we're going to say the same thing the nation said. You know, these are chains and shackles. So let's rise up against them. What's amazing to me is in verse four, you have this major shift. So these kings on the earth, they're all declaring they're going to come together and break the shackles that God put on them. But when you shift to verse four, it says the enthroned one in heaven laughs. So God sees their rebellion and he honestly is just laughing. Because while Israel was destroyed and while the kings of Israel were punished by God specifically, nobody can take God's throne. Like the nations can conspire all they want, but God's going to watch them live out their lifespan and die of old age or die earlier than that, and he's still going to be enthroned in heaven. And no matter how strong we feel in our hearts about our rebellion or our anger or how determined people are to stamp out the name of God and his memory on the earth, we can't, and we can't touch him. And he's going to watch all of this. And so all those mockers and scoffers, the people who really detest God's rule and hate him in any generation— 
honestly, they haven't heard him. He sits on his throne and laughs. And then in his anger, he rebukes them. So as the psalmist declares the Lord's decree in verse 7, it's beautiful. This is what God says to the king, and we hear these same words uh, to Jesus. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. That's beautiful to think of any of God's kings having obeyed him well enough that the nations would be blessed by God's rule but truly to think about the kingdom of heaven that Jesus proclaimed and to know that really and truly the nations are our inheritance, the inheritance of Jesus and the inheritance of all of us who belong to him. In verse 9, it says that you'll break them with a rod of iron. You'll dash them to pieces like pottery. You just see how these nations that conspired against the Lord, when they actually come against the Lord, like when God raises his hand, they're not going to be strong as iron. They're going to be broken like pottery. And so verse 10 through 12 is a call to kings of the earth to reconsider and to consider submitting to the Lord. And I'm asking us as individuals hearing this psalm that we would consider submitting to the Lord, that we would recognize how important it is to submit to the Lord as children, to submit to the Lord and to submit to the parents he put over us. Um, in church, to submit to, the, to submit to the Lord and the rule of Christ as the head of the church. But, but for all of us to bend our knee to God and submit to his authority. I'll read verse 10 through 12. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. And I love this. I love this. Celebrate his rule with trembling. God's rule is not bad. It's beautiful. It's something to celebrate. Listen, I've looked around the world and I've seen what poor rulers do. I've seen how much bad rulers hurt us. To be ruled by Jesus is beautiful. Not bad. Verse 12, kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to destruction. His wrath can flare up in a moment, but blessed are all who take refuge in him. I want to take refuge in him. I want to submit to his rule and be ruled by Jesus. I want to lead well and rule over God's creation well, fully submitted to God's rule over me. And I want us all to do the same thing. In verse 12, where it says, kiss the son or kiss the hand, it's an act of worship that we would humble ourselves, bend our knees. And just like you might imagine, you know, from, uh, from the, the, the courtroom of a king, you know, from the royal court, someone bending their knee, bowing their head, and kissing the hand of the prince. That's exactly what we're called to do in Psalm 2, that we would worship Jesus with humble devotion, with affection and adoration. And so Psalm 2 invites us to consider a really heavy question. Do you welcome the rule of God? Or do you conspire against Him, wanting to break off the shackles and chains that you imagine that he's placed on you. Well, I, for one, celebrate the rule of Jesus, and I hope you will too. So church family, let's recognize what a beautiful thing it is to be governed by King Jesus in the kingdom of heaven. God bless you. If this podcast is useful to you, feel free to share it. I hope we get the word of God uh, spread out as far and wide as we possibly can. Church family, I love you. Can't wait to worship with you next Sunday. Can't wait to see you Wednesday night in our discipleship groups. Have a fantastic week on mission.